It's time for the Worker of the Week Award. On the job. And I love the people I'm working with. With Francis Leach. I'm taking care of business. On the Job, the podcast all about making your working life better. Francis Leach with you. How are you? Hey, have you heard? The Socceroos have already won the World Cup. We have learned that progress has been made both on paper and in practice. The kafala system has largely been dismantled, working conditions have improved, and a minimum wage has been established. Whilst the reforms established in Qatar are an important and welcome step, their implementation remains inconsistent and requires improvement. We have learned the decision to host the World Cup in Qatar has resulted in the suffering and in the harm of countless of our fellow workers. These migrant workers who have suffered are not just numbers. Like the migrants that have shaped our country and our football, they possess the same courage and determination to build a better life. That's part of a video that the Socceroos and the Professional Footballers Association made a couple of weeks ago to air their concerns about worker rights, LGBTQI rights and human rights in Qatar, the country that from today is hosting the 2022 Football FIFA World Cup. One of the great events that uh, you could ever experience is the World Cup. I've been lucky enough to attend six of them, both working and as a fan, and they remain some of my happiest days. Uh, Match days in particular are extraordinary. You get to meet people from all over the planet, share in a moment of of joy and exhilaration in a game that we both understand and love, and it takes you to some faraway and incredible places. And Qatar is the next cap off that rank. But it does come with serious concerns and problems. Ever since Qatar was announced as the host of the 2022 World Cup 12 years ago, it's been dogged by complaints and concerns about its treatment of migrant workers in particular, as well as the LGBTQI community in that country. It has been a difficult and long campaign led by the International Trade Union Confederation and other union bodies around the world to try to hold Qatar to some newer standard when it comes to dealing with its migrant work population, which has suffered such exploitation and so many deaths when it comes to building the stadiums in which these games are going to be played. We're going to hear from two people who've been intimately involved in those campaigns today. Tim Noonan, first up from the International Trade Union Confederation, who's done a lot of work, a lot of liaising and a lot of dialogue with the Qataris to improve the system in that country for migrant workers. The great fear, of course, is that will these changes, will these improvements endure after the World Cup? Will it be a legacy for the trade union movement in that country or will it simply just revert back to normal? We'll have that conversation with Tim in a moment. For me, it's been a really difficult decision. I do love the World Cup and uh, it feels weird not being there, I've got to tell you, but I could not bring myself to attend this World Cup knowing that the stadiums that we'd be sitting in, enjoying the games in, celebrating the wonder and joy of football had come at the cost of workers' lives and well-being and their families back home, that remittance culture where people from, from countries in the global south like Nepal and Kenya and elsewhere go to work to send money home and often they come home in a body bag or they come home without the sort of return that they expected from working so very hard in that country. It's a mixed and vexed picture and it's one where every individual has to make a decision how they feel about Uh, the country, its practices, and whether the reforms that have been undertaken are good enough and meet a a standard that you're comfortable with. You shouldn't judge anyone for attending or, or being involved in the World Cup. Everyone has to walk their own path on this one. So let's walk it with uh, together and catch up with Tim Noonan from the International Trade Union Confederation. Talk to him about the dialogue they've had with Qatar, what changes have been made, and whether there'll be an enduring legacy. Tim, welcome to On The Job. 
Thank you very much. It's a difficult one for lots of football fans, the situation with the World Cup in Qatar. People love the game and they there is no greater celebration of football and all that it offers the world and its universal uh, universality, its richness and uh, the fabric of, 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 uh, of the... I'll pick that up again. Now I'm the one who's making mistakes. <laughs> it's a really difficult one for football fans, isn't it? Because... People love the game, and the World Cup is a celebration of everything that football has to offer, but this particular World Cup presents problems to people who care also about uh, the welfare of workers and the rights of workers to, to earn a living and to do it safely. Yes, um, and in fact, when, uh, when the announcement was, uh, was made that uh, the World Cup was going to Qatar about a decade ago, we reacted very strongly on that because uh, Qatar at that time had a... Uh, particularly uh, pernicious employment system, uh, kafala system, which bound workers, migrant workers, to their employers, uh, something that's not uncommon in the Gulf region. Uh, and we, uh, we demanded that FIFA act and that force uh, the push Qatar to, uh, to undertake reform. Uh, FIFA, in its uh, previous leadership, did not act. So uh, after a few months, we began publicly campaigning for uh, reform uh, to Qatar's labour laws. And um, alongside that, of course, uh, we have the International Labour Organisation. It's the UN body that regulates uh, labour issues and government compliance with fundamental labour rights. So we took a case to to the ILO, to the International Labour Organisation, as we were mounting uh, the public campaign uh, for reform in Qatar. And in effect... um, managed to turn it into a, a kitchen table conversation, something that got very widespread media coverage and, and introduced uh, a lot of pressure on uh, on Qatar for reform. Uh, so effectively, we created an international dispute. Uh, and in um, November 2017, at the ILO, we were able to negotiate a settlement to that dispute uh, with some very, very important changes to Qatar's labor law, which I can, I can list if you're interested. Um, the point is that uh, the kafala system, which meant that uh, workers, migrant workers, had to get their employers' permission to even leave the country. Uh, they had to get their employers' permission to change to another employer. That's now been done away with. Uh, there are proper um, transparent employment contracts uh, there is um, a dispute settlement process uh, with dispute settlement committees that are handling about 20,000 complaints uh, on an annual basis. Uh, that seems like a lot. Uh, it is a lot. Um, there are more than a million migrant workers in Qatar, and these reforms, which legal reforms that Qatar have made are quite far-reaching, take time to bed down. Um and it's clear that there's still significant problems of challenges of implementation and in some areas also uh, resistance by employers to uh, adhering to the new, um, the new legal standards that, that have been set by the government. Uh, importantly, also, there's now a non-discriminatory minimum wage in Qatar. This is the first in the whole of the Gulf region uh, and it covers all workers, in, including domestic workers, um, and of course a major program in terms of heat stress, occupational health and safety, labour inspection and so on is underway. That's all overseen by uh, an ILO, an international labour organisation office 
in Qatar that works with the uh, with the Qatari government. Um, but nevertheless, as I said, there are still significant challenges for implementation. Uh, too many workers are falling through the gaps, and we're really focusing now really on two areas. One is to – three areas, I should say. One is to ensure that every migrant worker in Qatar is covered uh, and protected by the new uh, legislation. The second one is uh, due diligence and the responsibility of companies. Uh, we focus very heavily on the government of Qatar. We focus very heavily on FIFA. Uh, but companies have had a pretty free ride in this so far, and that needs to come to an end, and we're in the process of, of making that happen. And the third issue, of course, is legacy. Uh, we've seen, for example, the calls from Amnesty International for FIFA to put up uh, significant legacy money uh, also to redress past wrongs. We, uh, we fully support that, uh, uh, that effort and uh, we're, we're in, uh, we've also had our own discussions with FIFA to urge them uh, to push ahead with all of that. So on balance, a huge amount of progress has been made. Uh, Qatar is moving to the position now where it should be um, it should be a, um, a benchmark for the rest of the Gulf region. Um, there has been no progress on labor rights in the United Arab Emirates, very little progress in Saudi Arabia and real problems in other Gulf countries. So we want to use this also as momentum not only to deepen and broaden the reforms in Qatar but to actually bring about change in the whole region. How can you be sure that following the World Cup and the caravan moves on, that Qatar doesn't revert back to something that uh, resembles what was there previously, kafala system, and falls into line with its Gulf state partners and neighbours uh, and resumed business as, as usual? How do you make sure these reforms stay? Well, that's a real concern and, and legacy of any of these mega sporting events uh, because we work on... Uh, Qatar is not the only country where we're working on this frame uh, is a big topic. Um, I would say in response, firstly, that the harsh spotlight uh, is likely to be diminished after the after the World Cup is done, but the spotlight will remain. Um, the whole program of infrastructure that Qatar has uh, has launched culminating in the World Cup is setting Qatar up as a host country for sporting and other events in the future. So it's going to remain in the spotlight, albeit not with the high level of focus that um, uh, that the World Cup brings. Um, so it's clear that Qatar, in order to um, build and maintain a position as a host of sporting events across all sorts of sporting disciplines, is going to have to not only keep these reforms in place but make progress. The second thing really is the legacy issue, uh, and that comes back to the demands from Amnesty International and others uh, for funding um, to ensure that beyond the World Cup, uh, people in, in the countries of origin of the migrant workers, uh, not only is there compensation for those who may have lost their lives or, or families who've had a, um, had a, a breadwinner injured uh, or fall ill, um, but actually to, to put in place projects that, that build uh, internal national capacity uh, that uh, would, we aim to reduce the drive for workers to have to go overseas to work. The third area is an ongoing trade union presence in Qatar. So there are global union federations, our sectoral uh, counterparts who are 
active in Qatar. Uh, they intend to remain active. Uh, in fact, we're looking at building their presence. Uh, certainly the ITUC will maintain not only a watching brief, but an intervention brief if and when necessary. Um, and very importantly, one of the legal reforms involves a provision for uh, enterprises, for companies to have joint uh, committees comprising uh, management, but also elected workers. And we know that in uh, there's, there's a slightly over 200 worker representatives uh, been elected already in different companies. That's a long way from where we need to be, but it's a significant start. And so one of the pressure points that we'll be pushing on companies, particularly in areas like hospitality and security, the ones that haven't been so much in the headline, headlines, um, to agree to the establishment of those joint committees to actually begin the process of, um, of workers uh, assuming uh, control, authority and power over their own working lives. So we don't think it's all over after the World Cup, uh, but clearly the spotlight is not going to be as bright. So football fans who are mindful of what's gone before and, and Qatar's fairly woeful history of, of uh, labour abuses and deaths on sites in building stadiums and the kafala system of uh, basically indentured labour for, for many, many years, look at this and go, do I go to the World Cup? And if I go, am I actually uh, you know, in some ways uh, you know, assisting Qatar in a sports-washing event, which makes them look great in the eyes of the world, and when everyone moves away and the curtain's drawn down, it reverts to what it is? Or should I go as part of an, an open engagement process where by being there, we're bringing Qatar further along the path to the reforms which actually make working life better for people? Where does the ITU sit on that? So people will make their own choices in that regard, um, and that's, uh, that's entirely their right. We are for open engagement, uh, but we do say that if people are considering uh, travelling to Qatar for the World Cup, that they should um, uh, not only reflect on what's happened in the past, but actually be a part of creating uh, and, and sustaining a better future. And that means that any Qatari entity that they're dealing with, uh, whether it be in transportation, in accommodation, in catering or whatever, there are a series of questions to be asked. Uh, are the companies obeying the law? Um, are they respecting migrant workers? There are resources out there that are available, sort of checklists that people can, can go through uh, so that the act of participation is not a passive one. Uh, it's actually one that, that contributes to, to deepening and furthering the change. Uh, there will also be on-the-spot um, human rights monitors, um, and if uh, fans attending the event uh, do uh, either see or witness or hear about exploitation, uh, then that should be reported to, to the monitors. We, we have to move away from a situation where people simply condemn what's happening uh, and actually channel these complaints into the systems that exist, test out those systems, reinforce them, uh, and take cases to the Ministry of Labor and, and the International Labor Organization. And that's how we can embed and accelerate reform. And there will be Australian tour groups going there, and they'll be engaging with partners on the ground in Qatar and using Qatari companies and Qatari service providers. I guess the onus is on those thinking of going to ask your uh, your tour company or whichever group you're going with, who are they engaging and are they meeting those same standards and are they making sure that they are exploitation-free in the service that they're offering? 
Absolutely. Any Australian uh, operator that's uh, planning to, to bring people to Qatar needs to be able to needs to do its due diligence and it needs to be able to demonstrate to the people who are using its service that they have done their due diligence uh, and that they're working with companies that respect the law <clears throat> and not companies that still try to find a way around the law. Um, what we are seeing is Qatar moving to a position now where we need to look at it in the context of what's happening elsewhere in the world. Uh, for example, the laws now that regulate, and again, I make some distinction between the law and the implementation, which is still lagging a bit, uh, the laws that regulate um, the rights of migrant workers are actually better than in many advanced OECD countries uh, where where restrictions on migrant workers' visas and um, uh, right to move from one employer to another, uh, rampant underpayment of migrant workers, which we know is a major problem in the industrialised world. Um, uh, that you know, the, it, it's time that people also reflect and think about what's happening in their own countries at the same time as they engage in pushing for um, the deepening and the furthering of reform in Qatar. Um, it's it's not good enough just to stay at home and throw stones. Uh, people have to look to their own jurisdictions also, and if if they look far enough, uh, and often they don't have to look too far, they'll find similar sorts of abuses going on. Uh, whether it be of construction workers, agriculture workers, domestic workers, or, or others. Indeed, uh, here in that's uh, sorry. Indeed, here in Australia, we have uh, the same sort of issue in our own agricultural sector with migrant workers. So it is a universal problem. Tim, thank you so much for being with us on the job and giving us some sense of how we can navigate uh, a decision around whether we want to go to the World Cup or watch it, and a real understanding of, of what's happening on the ground for workers in Qatar. Really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure, and thanks very much for your solidarity. That's Tim Noonan there, who's Director of Campaigns and Communication at the International Trade Union Congress, talking to us about the work that they've done with Qatar to try to improve the situation for migrant workers in that country. Well, as the World Cup gets underway, we can do a report, I guess, on whether they've actually stepped up to the plate and achieved the things they said they were going to when it comes to making life better for workers in Qatar who have been involved in building the stadiums and the infrastructure for the World Cup. Stephen Russell is Policy Officer, uh, Rights, International, Social and Economic Matters at the Trade Union Congress in Great Britain. I was in London with him this week and I had a conversation about a new report they've just released asking the simple question, have we won? Have these reforms stuck or have they morphed into something that resembles the former kafala system and other forms of exploitation? And will there be an enduring legacy? Let's talk to Stephen about that now. Okay, one, two, three, four. So Stephen, just to start, uh, just give me your title here at the TUC and what your, what your role is. Uh, I'm a policy officer in the international team of the TUC and I've been working on uh, the issue of Qatar since 2014. The new report has just been released. Have we won? Well, I guess the question is, what's the verdict? Uh, the verdict is that it's complicated and that we might be on a path to winning, but given what workers in Qatar are telling us right now, we're a long way from the finishing line. Uh, the report that you've done is based on testimony of 25 individuals, four in deep focus workers in Qatar. What are the key things that have emerged from their experiences and what they've told you? Uh, the overriding theme is debt, and it's caused by a number of different things. So that's illegal recruitment fees, uh, low pay and failure to pay overtime rates, 
um, inability to access justice to get money back from the government in compensation, uh, and that those are the main things. Is it a case that the uh, system of uh, bonded debt is still in use in Qatar in, in a way that was uh, you know, addressed by the ITUC and others to try to remove this situation where uh, workers were paying fees to get a job and then finding themselves paying back that debt endlessly because they weren't being paid properly and, and the fact that they weren't being able to remit money home? Yeah, there isn't much I can add to that. The detailed question has all the answers in it. It is still obviously happening, um, despite some good work, including the the recruitment centres in countries, it's very obvious that the workers who are going through those and ending up in Qatar are in deep debt. Uh, Not enough's being done. The companies in Qatar appear to be, according to our workers, in collusion with agents. uh, And that means that whatever Qatar is doing at the moment to try and stop this is being evaded and worked round by the employers. What about worker conditions? There was uh, a strong push, and I know that the ITUC and uh, the Trade Union Congress here in Great Britain were also putting pressure on Qatar to improve worker conditions and have oversight of of workers' environments to make sure that they were living and working in safe conditions. Has the report found that there have been improvements in that, or are we still got a long way to go? Well, the report tells us is that's no longer one of the first things the workers talked about. Um, When we were engaged in this under the Playfair Qatar campaign, uh, working conditions, as you say, were absolutely at the top of uh, a long list um, with some really quite shocking, unsanitary and unsafe conditions. This time round, workers didn't raise that, though at least one of them did say um, that their fellow workers were unhealthy and that working in the World Cup had been really bad for them. But it wasn't something they prioritised. So you can give uh, maybe give uh, Qatar some credit there and suggest that since that's no longer one of the first things that the workers tell us about, it's probably better than it used to be. Is the issue of sham contracting still really prevalent where workers turn up expecting to do a certain kind of job, get told, uh uh-uh, that's not happening, here's the job you are going to do and here's the pay you're going to get, which is often far less than what they were promised on the way in? Is that still a dynamic at play here for workers working in Qatar? It doesn't seem to be, but before we get too excited by that good news, we did have um, workers telling us that they were just bluntly paid less than was in their contract and challenged as to whether they were going to do anything about it. Because one of the other things we found um, driving the debt was that even though Kafala is gone on paper and that there are mechanisms to allow workers to change employers or give up and leave the country if they want to, which previously wouldn't have been the case, employers are blocking that. Um, stopping them getting onto that system. So for many workers, though certainly not for all, obviously, uh, being able to challenge any injustice inside the workplace remains a pipe dream. After all, they still can't join a union to defend their own interests. Worker committees were something that were set up. How effective are they and how far short of being able to organise in a union are we? Uh, We're still a long way short. Um, The very first barrier really is the fact that those worker committees are voluntary for the employer to set up. Uh, Once they do, there are certain rules. 50% of the committee needs to be elected from the workforce, which is a a good first step into the realm of worker democracy, but is really not enough because they're appointing the other half. Uh, And if you think about it, it's going to be the better employers, the ones who are already aware that people are scrutinising what they're doing uh, or want to do the right thing for its own sake, who are setting up these committees. And therefore, uh, there's probably some quite good results out of them because 
The fact they're doing it suggests they're interested in what the workers say. But the worst employers, the ones who are flouting the law and finding new loopholes, clearly aren't going to volunteer for this kind of scrutiny. Qatar uh, used the World Cup as a way, and you said, you said this in the report, of it's coming out in a way on the world stage and has struggled with you know, controlling the messaging around this. They did sort of change direction in around 2017, I think it was, when Qatar suddenly found itself in a geopolitical hotspot with its neighbour Saudi Arabia and it was looking for friends. So it invited the TUC in for a conversation and started to address these issues. Is the fear that once the World Cup moves on that oversight of, uh, of worker conditions and uh, the situation there is going to be more difficult and we're just going to backslide to the way things work? Look, we really hoped that all these things would be addressed by the time the World Cup started. But of course, Qatar left it to really the last minute to agree. And if that geopolitical crisis you describe hadn't happened, we might still be waiting. They've done really quite a lot in four years, but four years was never really going to be enough. Um, Therefore, that question, what happens now, remains incredibly important. It seems that the world's media and a lot of people who are you know, not terribly enthusiastic about sitting down and watching the games, given the context that they're taking place in, uh, are very aware of everything that's happening right now, but what happens in a few weeks and certainly in a few months and years. Qatar's made some long-term commitments. We have no reason to believe that they won't follow through on them, but we also know that international pressure and public opinion is very important to Qatar and they'll they'll want to have gained something out of a World Cup but at the moment seems to be a bit of a double-edged sword. They've got lots of good coverage, they've got lots of bad coverage. Who knows how they're feeling about that so they'll want more of the good coverage. But if they think the world doesn't care this won't be the way they generate it. Just as in 2017 they realized the way to make friends on the international stage was to uh, accede to these ITUC demands, in future they'll need to know that that's what they'll get credit for and that's what will be their good news story. And if we don't ask, we won't get. Just to finish, as a good unionist and a sports fan, it's conflicting emotions when it comes to this World Cup. What about you? I mean, are you going to watch it? How do you feel about uh, watching England at this World Cup? I'm really... Not that fussed this time round, and I think that's a, a very common common feeling. Uh, it's a really odd thing to have campaigned on this issue since 2014 and be surrounded by you know printed materials and things on my computer that just say Qatar 2022. I ought to feel some kind of friction of excitement, but the difficulty of working out whether we've really succeeded in making this work or not has really dampened my enthusiasm. So I'd love to sit down in front of it, you know, uh, with great enthusiasm, but I just don't think that's going to happen. Stephen Russell there, Policy Officer, writes International Social and Economic Matters at the Trade Union Congress with me in London last week. There it is. Enjoy the World Cup if it's your thing, but always keep an eye on what happens uh, after the World Cup and these workers who are still dealing with the exploitation that remains in Qatar. It is what unions are about, is standing up for those that can't stand up for themselves, and that's why you should join your union and become an active member in your union. Go to australianunions.org.au and become a member today. My name's Francis Leach, and I'll catch you on the next edition of On The Job. Bye for now.